Welcome back to GLF Live, the official podcast of the Global Landscapes Forum. Whether it's climate change, mass extinction, pollution, or the depletion of natural resources, young people today are facing some of the worst environmental threats in generations. But they're not idly sitting by waiting for a savior. Instead, we're seeing what might be the biggest youth environmental movement that humanity has ever seen. A generation that's more determined than ever to keep our world livable. And in today's episode, we're chatting with three members of this generation who are giving their all to defend their right to a healthy planet. This is the fourth and final episode of our mini-series on youth climate activism, and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome everyone, thank you for joining us on this Instagram Live. Um, again, my name is Irini, and on behalf of the Global Landscapes Forum, and on behalf of the Youth and Landscapes Initiative, I'm super excited to welcome you today on this live with three amazing climate activists from all around the world, Fatou Jenk from Gambia. She is an activist and the founder of Clean Earth. Hi, Fatou. Hello. <laughs> um, and <laughs> how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I'm glad to be here. It's okay. going to be a pretty interesting discussion today. Exactly, exactly. I see Paloma Paloma Costa from Brazil. She has been recently appointed by Antonio Guiteras to the Youth Advisory Group on Action to Tackle the Climate Crisis. And we're also waiting for Redima Pandey, who is a student and a very, very young environmental activist from India. Patu, um, uh, let's, let's start chatting with you. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourselves uh, how you first started to learn about the climate change and what pushed you into activism. And it would be lovely for you to start until we get the rest of our speakers on board. So um, I'm very much happy to be in this discussion today because um, I believe um, issues concerning the environment and climate change will be a concern for everyone. So I am from the Gambia, a uh, gender and climate justice activist, and I've been in the climate activism space since 2015. I currently serve as the founder of Clean Out Gambia, which is a youth-led environmental organization working on conservation um, and the climate change and uh, gender, as well as um, action for climate empowerment. I am also the policy operations lead for gender and climate change at UNFCCC youth constituency since COP23, supporting with policy submission and the gender action plan, the LIMA work program, as well as other issues related to young people and climate change. So. Um, I live in the Gambia, which is uh, a country with 2.2 million people. And uh, I am from Banju, which is the capital city of Gambia. This is a place where I grew up, where I had a lot of friends, where I did a lot of my activities. But it's quite sad to see that Banju is under a threat of climate-induced sea level rise. And experts have mentioned that the capital will get inundated under a one meter sea level rise. So this is a home to over 35,000 people, a home where my family and other people in the Gambia have actually resided for the past um, years. And this actually was one of the reasons that actually built my interest to join the climate activism space, because I know the Gambia is a country that contributes very little to the growing climate crisis, yet we are one of the countries that are, are very vulnerable to the, to the impacts of climate change. And as such, I felt that as a young person, someone concerned about the environment, someone concerned about our future and the future of the generation unborn, I felt the need to get engaged in the climate um, advocacy to ensure that people are aware about this challenge and how we can be able to effectively solve this. So this is one of my reasons why I got engaged in the climate activism space. But I think um, there has been many other um, reasons that have actually motivated my, in my interest and passion for climate change. But this is something that is a born-in concern for me and to every concerned person um, in the Gambia, especially with the damages that environment, that the climate change has already caused in this small country. Wow, Fatu, thank you so much for kicking off this conversation with so much passion. For me, other than your amazing, like the amazing things that you're doing uh, in all of the different organizations and institutions, what is more important for me is that you're really, you know, you, you, were, you had your story, you, you just shared with us how how you've been, your, your community has been impacted by climate crisis and that you decided to take action for that. And for that, I, I honestly admire you so much. But we see, I see here that we have Redima and Paloma that finally managed to, uh, we managed to have them on board. So hi girls, very nice to have you here. 
Um, we just heard Fatu sharing with us her story and how she got involved with the climate change um, activism. So I was wondering, uh, Redima, would you like to, to share your story? Um, yeah, so hi guys. Um, so it's like, I basically started my activism uh, sort of after seeing the flash floods. So in 2013, there was a flash flood that happened in Kedarnath near my house. So it's like when the flash flood occurred, I saw, you know, kids crying that they've lost their parents and, you know, people crying that, they love, that they've lost their families. Um, so I saw all this on uh, television and I asked my mom that what what really happened because I never really saw that kind of destruction in my life before. So that was the time when she uh, told me that it happened because of a flash flood and she told me the reason behind that flash flood and from then on even till today it's just like um, say thundering and it's just like cloud bursts and flash floods and especially you know when it rains at night these are one of my biggest fears. I was I guess five or six at that time when you know I sort of faced these problems and sort of um, was affected uh, by you know all these nightmares of dying because of a flash flood or losing my family because of it or you know um, not being able to do anything so it's like I was five or six at that time but it still continues and it at the same time it's just like um, after seeing all those things and after being affected for a long time I just asked my parents that if I can do something to stop the flash floods and that was the time when I was introduced to what climate change is and I just found out this to be a really interesting subject to learn more about because my parents were always talking about you know saving the environment, saving the biodiversity, they've been working for the forest and for the biodiversity for the animals itself so it just you know it just sort of, sort of certainly I just felt like you know I should know more because mom, my mom said that you know uh, the climate changes have been happening and the global warming is increasing because of our human emissions and for me only cars used to met at that time so that was a you know that whole interest was there but at the same time having this fear of time because of a flash flood were the things that made me sort of get into activism and you know try to bring up a change from my level. Wow Redima this is this is such a beautiful story and also I mean it's it's very scary that kids as young as your age have you know to go through this fear of of being very severely impacted by by something that they didn't choose something that they didn't uh, contributed to um, but it's it's beautiful that you through your fear you also found hope let's say and that you're giving hope and if if the, the current kids young generation is is slightly like you I think we can we can all have a lot of hope so thank you for sharing that and Paloma off to you what is your story hello everyone my name is Paloma Costa I'm here from Brazil uh, my story started on of course, when I was very little, I always like saw and had this connection with the entire environment that surrounded me. But I was born in the city and in the capital of Brazil. And I always had in my mind the idea on studying something that I could use for the to reforest the entire environment that I live in. So I decided to study law and I graduated in law. And I did my internship and I still work in this organization till now as a lawyer now uh, in an organization called uh, Instituto Socioambiental. And I was, when I was there, I was like in the beginning of my university of law studies. And I saw the data and all the situation that was happening in Brazil regarding deforestation, the underprotection of the Amazon. And I realized that the part uh, of the climate impacts in all of it, and especially how indigenous and traditional communities were taking the lead on uh, when it comes on really like advocating and bringing meaningful changes for all the climate impacts that were happening. But as I am from the area related with law and justice we all know that this takes like a lot of time and at some point i realized i had to find a group that was more active in it and it was the time when i found Mundo, which is a youth-led organization here from brazil um i am a volunteer there since 2017 
for the past two years, I coordinated the working group on climate changes, like really bringing together different youth from all across Brazil and to interact with the climate agenda and to participate in climate conferences and all the agenda that's related with climate. But like moderating myself, maturing myself in all of this process, um, I, I found that my passion is really when it comes for democracy and participation to come to decisions. We cannot think like having decisions made in one way, they will make sense for everyone. So in the past few days, uh, besides being, uh, I am also part of the UNSG Youth Advisory Group, I forgot that. <laughs> But um, and it's been like a lot of uh, a great experience to have like this part on interacting with youth, not only from my country, but from my region, uh, Latin America and the Caribbean, and to really understand what are the struggles that these youth are facing. And for example, I see Mitani here following us in the conversation. He's a youth leader from the middle of the Amazon. He doesn't even have connection for so for me it's like super special that he is here and this is what i've been doing for like really advocating for these young voices to have a voice to be understand to be visible and for their projects to be really implemented because we as the we, youth we are taking the solutions really on ground we are making it happening so we cannot be waiting for decision makers to bring the change that's needed Wow, amazing, amazing, Paloma. And, and thank you for pointing out to how important it is to, you know, expand our platforms also as young people to get to those people that do not have access to the internet. It shouldn't be, you know, the defining um, characteristic of active activists shouldn't be that you are able to connect um, on the internet, which, um, of course, um, it's, it's, it's an asset, it's, it's a tool, but we should move beyond that. Um, fantastic. Now, I've, what I'm hearing from all of you amazing women saying is that you all have a very personal connection to, you know, to, to why you started uh, being more active in, this, uh, in the climate arena, in the climate uh, um, activism. So I'm now wondering, uh, since you're all from different parts of the world, we have Gambia, we have Brazil, we have India, I'm wondering what are the characteristics of climate activism there? What are the challenges? What are what is something that is special about climate activism in your areas? And I would like to start with Paloma this time. Okay, thank you so much. Well, thinking about how it's the climate activism here, I would say that I have a lot with common with Hajimia. For example, here in Latin America and the Caribbean, environmental defenders are one of the most threatened group here. So we have to walk in the grounds like facing really, um, like really being afraid on what is gonna happening after our activism. So for that, we had to use all of the tools available to make our activism really implemented, really voiced out. So we took like the, the climate justice, not only to the bases, to the front lines, but we also took them to the streets, to the courts, to the Congress, to everywhere we can occupy of. Wow, fantastic, Paloma, thank you. Thank you for, for sharing insights. And definitely the issue of environmental defenders in Brazil and in general in many, in many places in Latin America has also reached international media. And, and I'm hearing it again and again as a concern coming from young people that they are actually trying you know, to, to save their future. And then there are so many obstacles on top of other things like not having um, not having access to, to the rooms where decisions are being made, uh, but also having their own life in danger for, for speaking for themselves and nature. Um, so, Ridima, um, what about you? How is climate activism in India? Um, so I could say it's kind of a little similar to what sort of Paloma said, because it's like in India here, it's just like there's a lot of, um, say, destructive uh, projects that's been given clearance from the government side. and. You know, we as an activist, we try to, you know, strike and, you know, it's just like most of the time when they doesn't really want you to strike. It's just like most of the time the activists do get arrested or there's some legal action that uh, has been taken against them as for, you know, I guess everyone might be knowing about the case about the Sharavi. So it's just like, you know, after seeing those, even, you know, after seeing 
an arrest of an activist like that for an issue with which you know the person is not even related to it's just like it has created this fear in everyone of you know striking and it's just like you know at that point of time when uh you know that thing happened it's just like everyone was so scared of striking and at the same time here in india i can say it's just like for people the age do matter a lot if you're a child if you're trying to bring up a change or if you're telling them that this is what you're doing wrong they won't want to listen to you because you are a child because you are not grown up like them so it's just like you know and here the grown ups have taken the credit of giving the advice it's like us doing their job somewhere is not an acceptable thing for them and yeah it's just like at the same time when you're doing an activism it's just like you know no one appreciates that you've been working so hardly for a cause which is going to you know affect all of us but at the same time which if there is any change you know which do comes uh, from our efforts that we as activists in collective or in general are making they doesn't really feel of you know that it's going to be so great but rather they just you know tries to discourage us there's a lot of discouragement like you know people say you're doing it for fame doing it for money and all these stuff so yeah it's just like you know i can say there is a lot more discouragement than appreciation here in india i don't know about the other countries but yeah here the activists do face it a lot and in the beginning of you know uh, their activism period when they should be appreciated and you know encouraged to do more it's just like you know that this discouragement most of the time you know ends up uh, kids you know not taking any action rather you know just staying at their homes thank you redima thank you for sharing that it all it's always funny for me when when activists are being accused for doing that for the fame it's such a struggling uh, arena to to constantly ask people to listen to something they don't want to listen to and then for being told that you're doing that for fame it's uh, it's uh, it, it always uh, amazes me that people can think that um fatu what about you how is climate activism in gambia yes so um uh, climate activism in the gambia it's uh, a little bit different from what my colleagues have mentioned because um i am from a, a least developed country even though all of us are but um what we do is we 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 are more underground we get our hands more dirty because our target audience actually don't have access to the media um the people that we're trying to reach out to especially women farmers vulnerable communities don't have access to proper resources so we get engaged we through the capacity building trainings we do through the outreach exercises we do through the tree planting exercises we do in addition with the activism in the gambia we work with the government somehow as a form of collaboration because we personally believe that you know for the issue of environmental and climate justice to occur there needs to be collaborative effort between the, all the relevant stakeholders even though we work with the government sometimes especially with some of the activities that we have because the political world is sometimes quite important in ensuring that we reach as much target audience especially with the high level target audience as possible however in as much as we work with the government in our climate activism we still also um object we 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 object some of the decisions or most of the actions that they do in terms of the implementation of certain environmental issues because in the gambia of recent if we could see my social media we were actually doing a robust campaign about um women farmers in the gambia that, that were at risk of losing their lands these are farmers that have been using their farmlands for over 30 years and the proceeds is what they used to support their children pay their school fees and feed their families but with some of the government actions um they gave they wanted to take over these lands from these women farmers and give it to like corporations to be able to establish their companies such as the fish mill factory that happened so there what we had to do was we had to do a robust social media campaign and also had to take this matter to the court because we realized that for us to have effective action uh we we need to ensure that we put our leaders accountable in the actions that we do and ensure that there is um enough environmental justice is possible so with our activism in the gambia as i mentioned we do a lot of on ground work work with the government yet most of the time we actually are trying to make sure that the promises and the commitments that are made by the government are actually um done and we hold them um to account so these are some of the things that we do in the gambia but it has not been an easy thing because sometimes um most of this um environmental or climate justice activists actually have issues or constrained with resources so i'm sure um it's going to be a thing that is cross cutting for all the environmental activists but what we do is we ensure that there is more collaborative efforts between all the environmental groups and also with um relevant stakeholders to ensure that there is um collaborative implementation of 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 the activities that we feel will be very, very um, relevant for the for the communities that we're trying to impact so that's usually what 
um, our, our activism is about because we don't have access. We cannot, um, because it's a Gambia, it's a country where uh, if we do protests or uh, and all of those things, it's not usually as effective as we want it. So what we do is we do more conservative effort so that we will have more impact with the activities that we're trying to do. Thank you, Fatou. Thank you. This is this is amazing for me to to learn what your how uh, climate activism looks like in Gambia. And what I'm hearing from from all three of you is that you're all talking about collaboration. You're all talking about taking into consideration the community needs, the people's needs, and how how the situation is at your at your local landscapes, at your national landscapes. And then I'm also listening environmental justice, which which is something that is so important to bring up. And last but not least, I think for if someone was paying close attention for the past 10 minutes, you kind of dismantled the idea that a lot of people have about activists, which is just them taking one type of action. You talked about legal action, you talked about working with communities, you talked about petitions, you talked about getting out in the streets, education, all of the different things that um, climate activists, young climate activists today are actually um, taking up in order to, to, to help us all make a better world. Um, now, after all of these amazing stories and all of these amazing um, insights that you offered us from, from your countries, um, I'm wondering uh, what are your thoughts on, on, on young or youth tokenism? Because it has been a discussion like for many, many years, you're all young activists. So I'm, no, I, I'm kind of, you know, 90% sure you've, you have felt tokenized in, in, in a space before. Your voice has felt tokenized. I see a thumbs up from Paloma. Um, I also saw earlier this month uh, Heta Lakhani, uh, the Yungo Global South Focal Point for UNFCCC. <laughs> to see a heart from Paloma. You told us your friends. That's awesome. Um, she spoke very passionately against youth washing at the upcoming Climate COP26. So tokenism, youth washing, another burden on the back of uh, young climate activists. What are your experience with young tokenism? And let's start with you, Redima, this time. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, this I can totally say that this is one of the biggest issues and I can't say that sometimes I did have felt this thing. It's just like, to be honest, I have felt this many times um, because it's just like, you know, you'll be invited somewhere. You'll be like, you know, that you'll be the voice of the youth. You have to, you know, share experience and blah, blah, blah. And when the conference does happen, what happens is like, you know, after a certain sort of, you know, agenda item, something that we have, you know, most of the time it's just like, you know, we doesn't really get to speak. It's just like, you know, the older generation is so overwhelmed with telling of, you know, what they have done, what their company is doing and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, you know, we doesn't really get times for, you know, just presenting our views and, you know, we doesn't really get time to say that this is what we feel is going on wrong. And even if we do say anything, it's just like, you know, either our thoughts would be neglected or they would be just like you know oh you're doing great even though what i said would be that you know that uh, if i say that you are doing this wrong the moderator would be like you're doing an amazing job we all support you thank you for being here but they won't just be like you know that yes what you said was right thing and we should you know initially take this as an important issue and when whenever you know we do contribute in something most of the time it's just like you know even when it comes to the you know in whenever it comes to the councils in the government itself you know they say that they do want to work with the youth but it's just like you know we never really get any proposal from them especially in my country and it's just like you know they they say that we want you know uh sort of thoughts from the youth but initially when we do send our thoughts we never really get a reward back from them so it's just like you know everyone wants to say that we are having the youth with us mm -hmm. but it's less like you know they never really want to mm -hmm. listen to what really youth want to say or what their real perspective is and you know to take it seriously it's just like you know every time you will go anywhere it's just like everyone would be just you're doing a great job and just just leave it's kind of you know it feels like that okay it was good that you were here and now you can leave <laughs> Oh uh, my God, Redeem, I think you captured it so perfectly because I feel that this is like every time I hear, you know, a young person addressing a crowd in a big conference and everybody goes like, yes, you're amazing. So inspiring. Next. <laughs> it's, it's exactly like that. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for speaking so passionately about it. Fatu, uh, what about you? Have you ever felt uh, that your, your young presence has been a token for, for 
um, a sp specific activity, a session or anything like that. What are your thoughts on that? So I just have to add on to what Verdina has mentioned. So sure. I think the issue of youth washing and the issue of tokenism is literally almost in every space you go to, especially when it comes to high level activities. What happens is our leaders have events because they are talking about youth participation or meaningful youth participation. They bring young people from different parts of the world and come there and serve as, for example, as audience, as part of the audience. We serve as speakers, for example, maybe, and that's it. But when it comes to the issue of us contributing to the policy, policy dimension of these things, because the policy portion is something that is very important because that is what shapes our future and how best we can be able to effectively tackle the problems that we are facing. There, young people are sidelined. There, young people are not included. Even especially during COPs and all of that, we have been, there's been a lot of advocacy that we have been doing over the years to actually, for countries to have young people in their party delegation. You will see young climate activists that have been doing amazing work in their different local communities. They've been really supported in the implementation of the Paris Agreement through the different initiatives that we have. But when it comes to our participation at COP, it is always very difficult. Even certain countries, they don't even, I know, I, I, there are some countries, especially in the global north, that don't give, they don't give badges to their young climate activists at all to participate. So you see young climate activists having to struggle to get badges from the NGO just so they can be able to attend um, activities like COP. In addition, um, you mentioned the issue of um, the, 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 the comment that was made by Hater. So usually, um, every year, Yongo has an event that we organize. It's called the Young and Future Generation Dog. So this is a whole day activity where we showcase youth activities, where we have young people from all over the world sharing the climate activism work that they're doing and how we can share best practices. So this year, the COP26 presidents wants to completely scrap that particular portion off. This is a whole day event, an event for the youth and by the youth. They want to scrap this off and then have young people come sit on the center stage and ask questions to the ministers. How is this going to contribute to the policy issue that is very important? How is this going to contribute to finding a solution to the climate problem that we are facing? So these are things that we need to talk about because these are things that has been affecting our participation in many important processes that will shape our future. The leaders will come and say, young people are the future leaders and we are the, we're the people that should be able to take action to address the climate, climate problems. But how will are we included in these processes? They continue to youth wash us, they continue to tokenize the space, which makes it very difficult for us to effectively and efficiently contribute to how well we are able to do that. So these are things that we need to talk about. We need to have honest conversations about it because it's long overdue and it's affecting young people. Patu, I, I don't know if, if you, if you uh, sorry, you, 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 you froze for a moment for me, but that was fire. I, I don't know how you guys feeling. Ladies here in the chat, like anyone, but this was fire. I hope we can literally broadcast that in every TV of this planet, <laughs> like to, for everybody to hear how frustrating it is to be invited, but not really listened. It's, um, it's, it's such an important thing. If you'd like to learn more about climate change solutions and how we can still prevent total disaster, be sure to join us this Friday and Saturday, the 11th and 12th of November at the GLF Climate 2022 Hybrid Conference. Tickets are still available to join us online or in person if you happen to be in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt for COP27. The link to register will be in the description. Now back to the conversation. Uh, Paloma, I saw you reacting very, very intensely in support of what Fatu was saying. So I'm wondering, what is your opinion? I'm very curious. Well, I think um, passing a little bit on this exposed momentum, <laughs> I will just say like the things that I like the most to hear. When people say, oh, I'm so proud that the future is going to work because you guys is go are going to be on the lead. Honestly, I am a leader right now. I'm not going to be a leader. I am a leader right now. We are taking the action right now. And we are taking these actions with no resources, with no visibility, with no support, and then we come to the conference, we come to the events, we come to the different um, speaking slots that we are invited to, because right now, like having a youth uh, in the scenario is like kind of mandatory. You cannot like do uh, a table without a young person. Come on, we are like on the big media. We have to be there. But then we go there and this happens. I remember I was in the discussions about the NDCs in Brazil 
and we were voicing out about the importance of taking climate education as a priority. And everyone listened to us and started like clapping, like, oh, you guys are so beautiful. You saw the future. And we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. And then in the final report, it was written, yeah, um, a target for 2050. I mean, if it's that important, we are going to live for 3 million years from now? What? And the other thing is that really concerns me that people don't see us as equal partners and we with equal expertise. I mean, at some point, um, people disregard our expertise. I am graduated in law. I am studying anthropology. I am on the ground in the front lines. I am in the Congress. I am in the judiciary system, accompanying all the judicial process that talk about the environmental agenda in Brazil. I am specialized in youth participation and democratic process. For example, me and Fatu, we help at shaping uh, the Youth for Climate Summit. We were working with different youths from across the globe. We did several consultations, several reports, and people still look at it as a piece of paper with hopes and big dreams. But these are not hopes and big dreams. These are solutions. These are the things that we are leading on ground, that we need resources for, that we need people to advocate with us to make it happen. Otherwise, how things are going to happen? People say they want us to participate in process, but we don't even have support to go to COP, for example. It's minimum the support that the youth has. What about credentials? What about like paying um, for, uh, for staying in Europe? We all come from global South uh, countries. How can we like participate in those events? So if people want to talk about youth pa participation without youth washing, First, talk with me how you are going to ensure that our voices are not only heard, but that we have like follow-ups on the things that we raised and that things really go to a place. Because if we keep talking each and every year, I, my best I can do is to stay here, build a farm, continue the plantations that I lead, help my friends out to take their activities. So yeah, I feel that's what I have to add. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Paloma. Thank you. Thank you for touching upon the youth expertise. Uh, I, uh, we, we work very often with youth, uh, like me personally, through my, through my paid position and through my volunteering. And it's always what you say. Young people are actually experts in their fields. Young people are actually leaders. They have the education. They have the experience. What they lack usually is resources. What they lack usually is access. What they lack usually is being paid for, for, for what they are actually offering, the consultation. Yeah, honestly, this is the thing. I, I, I feel you completely on that. Um, I think we lost Redima maybe some, something with your connection, but I hope she will be back quite soon because I really, really want to hear from her for this next one. And now that you are all fired up, I want to take a, like, a step back to something a little bit more intimate and personal, which is mental health. Because I hear, you know, a lot of concerns from you. I hear a lot of um, anger, like very, very valid anger. We need to be angry for what's happening, of course. I hear a lot of passion. But then at the same time, I hear a lot of people um, that are our age or younger than us or a little bit older than us that are feeling the burden of, of the climate anxiety. They are feeling that you know, they can't really do anything. Whatever they do is too small or too little. They are never going to be listened. Um, and then it's the media where we daily see, you know, all of these very, very um, sad, sad is an understatement, but all these events that are taking place, the sea catching on fire, uh, the deforestation rates becoming higher and higher. So it's quite hard sometimes, you know, to, to remain um, calm, to remain to remain okay within yourself. And I'm wondering, Fatu, how, how are you dealing with climate anxiety? How do you feel about that? Or is it not something that, that uh, you feel is a burden for you? I think um, literally most of the climate activists always or most of the time they feel gone out. Because I come from a country where we have to do a lot of work, a lot of on-ground work. We, need, we do a lot of mobilization. We do a lot of crowdfunding. We do, we do a lot of engagement. 
So we go to a lot of places. And sometimes the frustration that we face when we try to get something done and it's not possible really just stresses us out. And trying to get sometimes the support and the political will from the government, especially in terms of some of the activities that we do, also frustrates us. So last year, actually, I, I had a lot of turnout uh, because I was even invited for a podcast where I talked about like an hour about the issue of activists um, just facing burnout and how really we should take care of our mental health and all of that. And as much as the world needs us and as much as we need to contribute our quota and ensure that the issue of climate justice as well as the climate crisis is solved, um, is, is concerned, we need to take care of our mental health and, our, and, and ourselves. Because if we don't take care of ourselves, we will not be able to deliver to the communities that need us. We will not be able to deliver to the world. We will not be able to continue to champion the climate message that we need to do. So when we feel the need to relax, let's just find a hobby. For example, for me, I, I actually enjoy the beach because um, where I live in the Gambia, in the Gambia, we're surrounded by the beach. So I go to the beach a lot of the time, especially at night before I go to bed. Just try to think of the things that I've done and how well at least I've been able to accomplish some of the things that I've been able to do. And think about that as a positive thing. And I was like, yes, this is something that I've done and it's something impactful. I think it's something worth at least, you know, sort of like uh, celebrating somehow or just making me comfortable a little bit. But the fact is that we really need to take time, take care of ourselves and ensure that we don't get burnt out along the way. Because when that happens, we will lose ourselves in the process and we will not be able to deliver what we're supposed to deliver to our people and the people that need climate justice throughout. Thank you. Thank you, Fatu, for that. Uh, you reminded me of an amazing quote by Yonder Lord that says um, that, you know, resting, caring for yourself is not self-indulgence, it's self-preservation, and it's basically an act of political welfare. So definitely rest. Rest is so, so important. Uh, Redima, welcome back. Um, we're discussing about climate anxiety and and how it burdens, you know, young climate activists, but not just climate activists, also young young people in general. So I was wondering, how, how do you feel about that? Um, so it is a problem with me and it is not. It's kind of, you know, I have mixed feelings about this. It just depends on, you know, how my day is going and sort of, you know, how I've been feeling throughout the week because it's, it's can, because as being a student, you know, as being a student and especially being in my high school right now, so it's like right now things are sort of, you know, online. So it's much more of a relief, but it's like when I did have, um, you know, all these events sort of, uh, you know, in different places, I was, you know, I used to travel and just like, you know, I did an event, I'll travel and then I'll do another event and, you know, at the night I'll travel back to my place and the next morning I'm going to go to my school in front of my teachers, you know, hearing them yell on me just that, you know, you haven't completed your work and you're not, you know, focusing on your studies and at the same time, the very next day thinking about that there has been uh, this destructive project or there's been these many trees are going to chopped off. We have to do something about that and then... Oh, Redima, I think you're back now. Please continue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I was just saying that it's just like, you know, it's, it's uh, when it's a lot going on, it's just like my mind, most of the time I just can't handle that. And it's just like most of the time I just get so emotional that I'll just cry for just like 15 minutes or so. And then I'll just be like, you know, it happens. It happens. You're working for, you know, such a big cause. It happened. Just, you know, take a deep breath. And after, you know, after I'll be so frustrated, sometimes I just sort of, you know, um, cancel up my meetings and I'll just be like, you know, I can't take it anymore and I'll just sleep for the whole day. So, yeah, I guess it's really important, you know, to take care of ourselves because as Fatu said, you know, you can lose you in this whole process and, you know, we doesn't really want us to do that. But, yeah, it's, it's a big, bigger challenge for me, and especially when I'm dealing with my schools, my activism and everything. It just gets a little chaotic sometimes, I can say. Thank you. Thank you, Redima, for sharing that. I'm sending you the biggest hug. I, I honestly like feel that I need to say that your childhood and nobody's childhood shouldn't be stolen away this way. Like you shouldn't feel the burden to to save the world because it's not your fault. But it's very, I don't know, it's it's very uh, inspiring is a very little word to say uh, for, for that. And yeah, please take your time to rest. It's it's super, super important. Uh, Paloma, what about you? <laughs> Well, I like when you said that, like, inspiring is not the word. Like, I I stayed here in a camping of the indigenous people. They were resisting in front of the Congress against the setback in their rights. 
and people were talking to me like this is so inspirational you were there with them and I was like no being on the front line is not inspirational I was taking bombs in front of my head and this was not good <laughs> it was cold it was without food and people don't see that but yeah I think like the girls put it very well when it comes to burning out and being stressed about the climate agenda and all the issues that are happening, like, I mean, <laughs> I don't actually sleep well for a long time. How, I, I mean, I, I don't even know how people can sleep with everything that has been happening. And I hope my boss is watching right now <laughs> because these days she asked me to do a list of all the things that I do because as I work here in a formal job as a lawyer, but I also do a lot of activism. Of course, all the agendas are connected, but she wanted to understand how to help me for me to not be overwhelmed all of the time because I don't know, like I like action. So I am in acting all of the time with everything. And I was making that list and I saw like, I have six pages of just listing the works that I'm leading, the works that I'm doing, the things that are on my responsibility, the things that I'm helping with. And this is a lot, this is too much. And for me, um, for example, this week for me, it started like with my friend calling me, Mitan inclusive that is here saying he was threatened by his, uh, by people in his city because he was voicing out against mining in his territory. The other day I had to woke up with people saying that the fire season started and it was happening and burning all the forests near to where I live and they wanted me to help with the fire brigade, uh, the volunteer fire brigade. So how can a, a person be with a mental health in a situation like this? There is no way to do that. But um, in, before pandemic starting, I was um, in the UN uh, um, uh, Human Rights Council with Davi Yanomami. Davi is a shaman from the Yanomami people here in Brazil. And we stayed a few days then we discovered together about COVID and pandemic together. And we had engaged before and we were very scared, of course, we are we were far from our country and we had to come back and everything. And he told me something very beautiful that helped me out with all the time um, during pandemic. Um, we participated in an event in called Amazon Center of the World. And in there he gave uh, for me and the youth that were present, like the arrow of the indigenous people for us to be the actual new fighters for the environmental and climate agenda. And I was telling him um, during the Human Rights Council that I was standing with a, a big responsibility. I mean, it's a lot to receive the arrow from him. And he told me that um, a period, a difficult period was arriving, but that we could not like stop smiling, stop dancing, stop panting in our bodies because if we ever do that, the mercantory people would do on. And meaning that the mercantory people is winning, it means that all life in this planet is under threat. So when he told me that, I, I actually like during pandemic and all the sad things that were happening, I thought, no, I cannot like be with this sad face all of the time. Like, and I started like painting and really taking this community and affection of the social environmental movement and the youth movement, like as myself, like, and right now for me to be talking with you, to be talking with my peers and my colleagues, it's like being with family. So I found like my inspiration in these daily conversations and with the actions that my friends are leading. I mean, if we are moving, we are doing something good. And if it's good, it's happy. <laughs> Thank you, Paloma. Um, I feel I can't really follow up on any of your words right now. I just want to say, sending a huge hug to all of you on that, and that finding joy is definitely a form of resistance, and um, that 
that thank you for being vulnerable as well. You know, sometimes in this live discussions, you ask people questions and their responses are kind of ready out of the box, but I felt so much emotion and truth in all of your responses right now. And I deeply, deeply appreciate that. And thank you so much for, for sharing um, your, your sincere thoughts uh, with me and with everyone watching. I, I personally feel right now we're just on a, on a call among friends and not uh, thinking that people are actually you know, watching us, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, talking, but it's okay. <laughs> okay, so deep breath and moving on to, to close, like to start closing this discussion, which I could see like lasting honestly for hours. Um, we're now in the year 2021. Um, it was a year that we were supposed to catch up with everything we didn't do last year on a high level, let's call it high level up there space, like with the agreement for biodiversity, the agreement for climate, we have the UN decade on ecosystem restoration starting. Um, these are, as you said, things that are happening up there. These are things uh, that are, are happening um, on, on a high level, but there are so many things happening on the ground. And I see, I'm sorry, I see Fatu uh, had to, to, to leave and I'm trying to bring Rindima back um, as well. Uh, but Paloma, now that I have you here, uh, still, what are your hopes? What are your hopes for the next decade? What are your hopes for the next decade uh, for the state of our planet? What should be done to make sure that leaders, as Fatu said, follow up on their promises? Uh, and when I say leaders, I don't mean just youth leaders. We usually, you usually follow up on your promises. But the leaders that have heads of states, heads of companies, how can we make them follow? Their promises and what are your hopes for the next decade? Well, um, how to make them follow their promise? I think if we had this answer, we would definitely be doing that. <laughs> but I feel like we are entering a period where, where we have no option than to reforestate our own conscience. If we do not do that, we are putting ourselves under threat from our actions. So I feel like having this conscience, doing this work, it is like an ant's work, you know? It's, it takes a long time. We have to be a lot to have the impact needed. But I mean, we are a lot. We are being more and more each and every day. And honestly, I... We are coming for them. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they don't need to worry for that. We are coming for them, for all of them, because we are taking the solutions to happen. It was um, what we were talking about. Um, we cannot like be waiting for decision makers and world leaders to change their mind and to start implementing the solutions. We have to do it for ourselves in individual, collective, and political um, capacity. There is several ways of doing activism, and there are like lots of options that people can search of on how to start their own activism. But we need to believe in that, because all of us, if we do not believe that, that there is a world to come ahead, we will not be doing our activism. So we are like believers. We cannot run for that. And I feel like taking the time to really reforestate your conscience, reconnect with the earth you are living in, and really bringing love, affection, community to those that are around us. Um, this is the path we can run for it. We are here sharing the earth. We are here sharing the same things. And I mean, if we do not like put these solutions, the ideas that are happening, for example, I told you guys about the fire uh, station that is now starting. There is a lot of youth here in Brazil that are leading the volunteer fire brigades. They, they normally arrive first from the public fires, um, firemen, because they are based in the community. So why not value the work they are doing? Why not value the work, for example, Mitan is doing on protecting his territory? I mean, if we don't go for that, where do we are planning to go to 
I don't know, advocate for our, our next extinction. I, I believe at least the people here in this world like to be in this world. So, I mean, we have to work together and that's our only path. Thank you. Thank you, Paloma. We have one, only one word. I, I think that's, you know, that's, that's something that a lot of, um, you see it in a lot of posts and inspirational posts about the environment, one world. And it's true. We have one planet, no matter how many people are trying to get into space. For now, we only have this, <laughs> this planet and we should be taking care of this planet. Um, Redima, thank you for coming back. I'm wondering what are your hopes for the next decade with all of the UN Decade on Ecosystem Restoration, all these high level things happening what are your hopes? Uh, what, what do you hope that uh, we will see in the next 10 years? Um, so it's like my hopes are getting high, but it's just like, you know, as I say, it's just like I'm a little confused person. It's just like, you know, one day my hopes will be so high that I'll think of, you know, that things are going to change. It's going to be a big, you know, it's going to be a really good <laughs> thing. But the next day I'll just be like, you know, there's nothing going to be changed. It's just like we all are going to die. It's just like the things are ending up. <laughs> But the very next day, I'll just be like, you know, I'm so pumped up. So it's just, you know, it depends on the people whom I'm talking with. Or, you know, the the sort of group, the, the, the circle I'm being with. It's just like, you know, today being here, it gives me really very hopes. It's just like now I'm being the person who's having really great hopes. But it's just like sometimes when I do talk to people, it's just like some of the time I'll just be like, you know, we have to think about the solutions very quickly because we don't have much time. So it's just like, you know, I do feel that, you know, we can't really bring up the changes. It just depends on, you know, that as Paloma said, we all have to be together in this fight because, you know, I'm not just fighting for myself. She's not just fighting for herself or just for her country. It's just like we all are, you know, fighting together. It's just like, you know, for, for you know, everyone to sustain on this planet. And it's just like, you know, I feel like this is a really important thing that we all have to understand. Sorry for the background noise. Um, that um, it's just like, you know, we're not doing all these things for, for the earth. You know, we're not doing all these things for the earth. We're doing all these things for ourselves. And, you know, we are doing all these things so that we can sustain on this planet. And it's just like, you know, most of us do say, you know, that we treat earth has a mother but you know our actions need to you know show that those things as well and it's really important for us to you know sort of work on how we can you know have uh, sort of gain uh, maximization for, you know how we can shift gain maximization to fewer for you know risk, risk minimization for you know every single one out there because it's just like you know just having those corporates and governments you know thinking about their profits and us being sitting at our homes thinking of that they are gonna do a change or they are gonna think about ourselves that's not gonna happen you have to be the one you know just you know we have to be at the front line we have to just be like you know that you have to do this because you know it's just about ourselves you know it's just not about your profits it's it's about our lives it's about you know our future it's about you know how we are gonna sustain I think she wanted to say it's about how we're going to sustain ourselves. Um, I hope I hope your internet connects again. But that was, uh, again, Redima, I wish I was, that's a very cliche thing that my grandfather used to say, but I wish I was half as wise as you in your age. Like, honestly, uh, it's amazing to hear from you also about how important it is to change the mindset that we are just doing that for the environment, which is something far away, because in reality, humans are part of the environment. So it's always, it's, it's the same thing. Nature and humans are part of nature. And this discourse about them being two separate things has been mostly harmful about the environmental movement. So I'm so glad to hear from you uh, talking about it. Um, I do have two more questions. And one of them is actually for Paloma. Uh, because as you know, maybe, you know, uh, in GLF, we're having the GLF Amazonia digital conference coming up this September. And we're really, really, you know, trying to, to shed light to everything that is going on there. We're really trying to hear from the communities on the ground um, and understand what the Amazon is all about for, for them there, but for the planet as well. So I was wondering if you could choose one thing that you would like to see at this conference, what would it be? Honestly, I find it very important that the people that lead the conversations are Amazon based. I'm not based in, in the Amazon as much as I travel there and work daily with the people of the Amazon. 
I have an idea of the situation and it could definitely say my perspective on that. But I feel when we are talking about the region, about somewhere, we need to voice out the people from there. I've seen in the last COP some people say that people in the Amazon didn't want to leave there as all of the difficulties on internet access, access to healthcare and everything. But did, did those people actually had the time to ask them about what are the things that they want? I am happy to suggest a lot of names of youth that are leading the work in there, not only indigenous or extractivists, youth that are based in different situations, researchers. I think we need to put the Amazon people for speak for themselves and give the necessary visibility. The entire world talks about the Amazon and think they are specialized on it for reading and researching about it. But when it comes to the Amazon and about the enchanted figures of the forest, we don't know about that. Only the people who are there know. So let's invite them for them to speak for themselves because they have a lot to say and we have a lot to learn with them. Thank you. Thank you, Paloma. We definitely have a lot to learn from them. And I mean, we've had years and years in the international community of people from other places that are experts because they've studied it, talking about uh, what communities want, what people living in X area want. So as you said, it's, it's about time to, you know, to hear what the people living and breathing the Amazon are actually um, willing to see. And because I would prefer to close with something from you, I will say the very technical things now very quickly, which is that the GLF Amazon Digital, Amazonia Digital Conference takes place on the 22nd and 23rd of September. Um, you should go and join it because we're definitely taking Paloma's advice. Uh, it's going to be people from the Amazon talking about the Amazon and the rest of us will be learning and listening and seeing how we can um, make things better. Um, we do have an Amazonian storytelling competition to amplify youth voices, indigenous voices, African descendant voices, peasants, women, everyone that wants to be part of this competition, either by video or audio to respect the data issues. Um, go check it out. It would be lovely to learn from you in your own languages. Um, and yeah, we also have the Restoration Stewards program opening up. Uh, our first year has been a, such a successful thing. It's amazing to see what young people are already doing on the ground about restoration. Instead of imposing top-down, startup scaling what is already happening by young people, by communities, by everyone on the ground that are actually resisting and taking action uh, for restoration. So before closing up, um, I would like to hear from you, Paloma, and I'll try to bring Redeema back again um, since the data issue is here and real. Um, so I wanted to, to hear from you one word, one phrase that you would say either to the younger Paloma or to a young person that is now inspired, let's use this word, that is now willing to start taking action for the planet, for the climate, for the people. What is one phrase? What would be your top advice? Well, I already told it somehow, but I will repeat it again. <laughs> that we need to reforestate our conscience. There is no way out than in affection and in community. So gather together with everyone, taking everyone on board and reforestate this world together with all of us because together we are much more stronger and we have like a lot and a beautiful days ahead for us to enjoy together. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Paloma. Thank you. I wish I wish uh, Fatu and Redima were here with us, but at least we got a glimpse of their fire and the strength that they are bringing um, every day and their actions and their words. I think they will stay <laughs> with me for the rest of the day. I have to say I completely agree with you when it comes to gathering in community. I think it's I think we spend years looking up to people for individual action or looking up to role models, but in reality, no change came from one person. We, it was always, it was, it was always collectives. It was always communities. It was always us together. 
Thank you, Paloma. Uh, thank you, Fatu. Thank you, Redeema. Have a lovely day, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed this mini-series on youth climate activism. Next week, we're bringing you another little series on the ins and outs of climate change, from greenhouse gases to adaptation and net zero. You won't want to miss these climate crash courses, so please consider subscribing to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or Stitcher, and reach out to us on social media with the hashtag GLFLive. As always, for everything you need to know about landscapes, ecosystems, and climate change, you can visit our website at globallandscapesforum.org. We'll see you on the next one.